Hey guys, thanks for watching Ike Live. It's brought to you by Mystery Tackle Box. Please check them out. They've got a great product. Go to mysterytacklebox.com. If you use the coupon code Ike Live, you get 50% off Sweet. your first Pro Box. That's $12.50 <laughs> $12. for a almost $50 value of baits in this box. Folks at home, folks at home, how you doing tonight? I hope you're having a wonderful Sunday. I know we are. And guess what? It's Mother's Day. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Shout out to all the moms out there watching and listening right now. Uh, listen, we've got a brand new Ike Live show for you tonight, and it's a good one. Special guest joining us, Cliff Crochet, the one and only Cajun baby. And in our first segment... Man, if you live in the Northeast, you know this guy. Um, I, I like to call him the best guy I've ever fished against. Honestly, the, the best angler I've ever competed against that didn't turn into a full-time pro. The one and only Mr. Ed Callen, the hammer, joining us tonight on our first segment. Um, before we start the show, and it's going to be a good one, let me tell you, uh, this show is brought to you by a lot of companies that make it possible. Of course... First one is our presenting sponsor, Mystery Tackle Box. And we will be doing a live unboxing at the end of the show. Also brought to you by Flambeau, the makers of great tackle storage systems. Liquid Mayhem, scent is important. Uh, TH Marine, they've got you covered, whatever you're in. From a kayak to a Biggie Smalls boat, TH Marine has, has a product for you. Bash University, what a great time right now with all the quarantining going on. To check it out, go to bashu.tv. Tackle Warehouse, man, you don't have to go to the tackle store. Go online, see what you need. They'll ship it right to you. Uh, Torquedo, man, if you fish on a place where electric is the only thing you can use, you've got to check out Torquedo, of course. Of course, it's on the Ike Live boat as well. Hobie Kayaks, Cadillac of Kayaks. Uh, Dr. Squatch, um, right now with everything that's going on, wash your damn hands. And do it with Dr. Squatch. And last but not least, Founders Beer. Great uh, sponsored supporter of the show. And the beer of the night, what we're starting with here, uh, I'm excited to try this. And once the show gets underway, I'm going to take a zip. I've been staring at it. I'm very anxious. We're going to be drinking the Mas Agave tonight. But not the regular. This is the brand new grapefruit Mas Agave. I'm going to be drinking it over ice with a little bit of salt. Um... Let's get the show started by introducing a couple of our key players here on the show. Of course, pushing buttons, making things happen, making plays. To my right, the one and only Brian DeCarpenter. Brian, how you doing? Hey, how you doing, I'm Mike? I like clapping when nobody Woo! else claps. Here we are. It's like an empty barn. Dude, so, yeah, when we get the rest of the guys on, we'll talk about it a little more. But I watched the UFC last night. Yeah. They, they, they came back. And <laughs> Rogan was interviewing. He says, uh, oh, shoot, forget the fighter's name. Uh, Vicente Luque, every, nobody out there. You know? <laughs> to nobody in the crowd. To nobody. Yeah. So they had a UFC fight. Yeah. No fans. No fans. Wow. It was pretty wild, man. You could hear the leather slapping. Wow. Yeah, they were, right. they were getting after it. I just it. got a text from Riz. Riz says, somebody has the show on in the background, creating an echo. I don't think I do. What a If someone has the show on in the background, I don't know. Who would that be? A ghost? <sighs> ghost, ghost, ghost. Right. Hello, 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 hello. Hi, 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 hi. Let me get after this. Go, go, go. All right. While we're working on this little technical glitch. As uh, always. As always. Let me uh, real quick give you a couple 
little updates. Of course, the um, Ike Foundation uh, Virtual Bass Tournament ended last week. Huge success. Over 600 anglers signing up, supporting it. We raised over $10,000 uh, for kids affected by COVID-19. So shout out to everyone that participated in that event. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, big news, FLW, MLF, and BASS all announcing new schedules. Um, the updated schedules, we're going to be talking a little bit about that later in the show. Um, you know, here's the other thing. Listen to me. If you want to learn a little bit tonight about the history of fishing and some of these techniques, tune in a little bit. We've got Mr. Ed Callen on. It's going to be a real good one. And then we're catching up with Cliff Crochet in the second segment. Cliff's had a lot going on in his life uh, surrounded by this pandemic. So we're going to be talking to Cliff, catching up with him. And I know he's excited to get back on the water here in just a little bit. Uh, before we get underway, we always do this every show, and I want to start by thanking our military, men and women, active military and veterans. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. It's a crazy world. I uh, also want to thank uh, our policemen, our firemen, our EMT, first responders, uh, doctors out there, medical professionals. Thank you for what you do, uh, especially during this time. It's nuts. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of interaction in this show tonight. And if you have questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up on the IM board right there next to your screen. We have the one and only Rizzo uh, is going to be uh, doing our comments tonight on the IMs. Also, if you're watching over on Facebook at Ike Live Show, be sure to comment there as well. I'm going to be checking that out periodically throughout the show. And listen to me. This is a big, this is a big part of it right here. If you are watching on Facebook, like and share the feed. If you like and share the feed, we're going to throw you into an entry, a contest to win this. Uh, we're going to pick one name out randomly at the end of the show. And you could win the world-famous, let me call it world-famous, Ike Live gift bag. Load it with sponsor products. There's so many in there. Things, things like 20 pounds. Um, also, we're going to be doing a trivia question a little bit later in the show. And we're going to give away another one of these bags. Include it in that bag will be a mystery tackle box that we're opening up tonight. It's going to be a good one. Let me remind you, too, that all the sponsors of the show that I ran down in the intro segment... Uh, if you use the promo code Ike Live, we're going to give you discounts on everything on there. So uh, it pays to be a watcher and viewer of Ike Live, doesn't it, Brian DeCarpenter? That is correct, Mike. Okay. Uh, let's introduce the rest of the cast here tonight. And again, I, let, me, let me, before I do that, let me say that this is a little strange because in the studio tonight, it's just me and Brian DeCarpenter, and we are social distancing. Brian's 10 to 12 feet away from me over on the producer side over there where all the, the bums stay over there. Right. Um, but the rest of the studio is empty, and it does feel a little strange. It feels a little weird. But the next best thing to have our crew here is via Zoom, and we're going to be Zooming them in tonight along with our guests, uh, our key guests tonight. So let me start. We've got the one and only my co-host, Probably uh, the most important thing of the entire show, because he's sane, the one and only Pete Glusick. Pete, how you doing tonight? Oh, shit. Oh, 
And action. There he goes. Pete, how you doing tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to be back on the show so soon. Man, I'm telling you. How uh, how are things shaking in the Glusick household? Oh, you know, we're uh, we're doing good. You know, I, I we had a, a bit of a health scare. Uh, and um, and we got we came through it in flying colors. Dad had a, had a blockage in one of his arteries. And once they opened up, it was so significant that once they opened up, uh, those types of procedures, they put dad at the front of the line to get that done. Wow. And, you know, so, um, we went down to, uh, to Cooper and, um, in Camden, New Jersey. And they, it, it's amazing the technology that's available to us today. They had them, they had them in, they put a stint in successfully, uh, to alleviate that blockage and sent them home two hours later. And dad's recovering nicely. Uh, wow. On, at home right now so we're, we're tickled to death i think i think my dad has like 19 lives you know it's amazing it's amazing it's amazing <laughs> that the, the medical profession has that stuff dialed so much now isn't it like major oh blockage God. like boom boom stent out home it's crazy i mean that stuff it used to be like open heart operation six months recovery um it's it's crazy how, how good they are with it with it now and uh th- thankfully so and great experience yeah. at the hospital, all the nurses coming in, you know, dealing with all the, the virus stuff, right? You thanked them earlier. <coughs> I want to thank them again. Um, you know, it, it, it was really an amazing experience. And, uh, and like I said, dad's, dad's recovering nicely. I, I mean, he was walking that same day. It's, it's just crazy what's, what's available right now. Amazing. Really amazing stuff. It's amazing. Well, we're glad he's doing good, Pete. Uh, we'll be thinking about him. Uh, handling IMs tonight. We've got Rich, uh, a.k.a. Rizzo, a.k.a. Riz, joining us. Riz, what's going on tonight? Uh, happy to happy to be here again and so soon, uh, as always. Um, psyched, for a, psyched for a great show. The message board is lighting me up right now. Yes. <laughs> I like it. We got we got comments coming through already, and we haven't even started the show. That's great. Yeah, we got, like, and Dave's already got himself kicked off of Zoom. He's... Right, it must have been the fire in the back. The there, heat. He, there he is. Oh, he's back. The back. heat kicked him off Zoom. All right, before we get to Dave, Riz, real quick. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I should announce this publicly, but you had a little boating uh, snafu the other day. Yeah. Bent bent prop shaft. How how are we on the road re- to recovery with your outboard? Um. So basically, the good news is is I have insurance uh, on my boat. Woo! Um, I tried all day on friday to get a hold of my insurance company well i say all day but it was like from like 11 30 or so on once i sorted things out and found out that i was still covered haven't gotten a hold of anybody from my insurance company yet but we'll be beating the door down again on monday and hopefully get the uh get the show on the road to get that new lower unit uh put on there because the lower unit is smoked so smoked then you hit just so one you, of those things, man. I was <laughs> there goes Dave again. I, I was going. I was. I was. I wasn't going fast or nothing. I was just going from one spot to to another <laughs> yeah. down on the Chesapeake, not going far. And I was in the middle of the back channel, which we run all the time. Yeah. And uh, hit something hard that I guess was on the bottom, but not quite reaching the surface on a low tide. Right. And uh, yeah, the uh, the prop shaft <laughs> couldn't handle it, so. Speaking of couldn't handle it, uh, our very own stormtrooper left his phone too close to his bonfire and it overheated. 
Oh, so wow. He's, he's, he's allowing his phone to cool down so he can right. turn back oh. to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Only Dave. Only Dave. All right, Riz, what I wanted to tell you about the prop shaft is that's uh. – don't worry about it. That's part of it. Freaking idiot. I Honestly, last season, I think I went through – I went through close to 10. What? Yeah. I, I smoked 10 prop shafts last year. This year, I think I'm only one in in like three turns. I think I smoked one. Actually, I smoked two this year <laughs> already. I take that back. I smoked one at Eufaula that they had to change. And then I smoked one at, of all places at Okeechobee. Listen to me. If you're watching right now, if you're listening, and you live in Florida, don't don't have that false sense of security because you're in Florida and you think everything's soft. a soft bottom. <laughs> Dude, Pete Lusick, chime in. The yeah. bottom of those lakes, especially when the water's low, is oh. rock. <laughs> there is uh, rock in Florida, I Carl. promise. Yep. Yeah. Carl Rock. Hard it, as hell. It, it, unforgiving. Really, really bad on prop shots. And, and gators sometimes. And gators. That's right. That's right. Gators can happen as well there. Uh, let me remind everybody, uh, if you're watching, we do want to hear from you. Uh, please hit us up on the IM if you have any questions or comments throughout the show. Also, if you're watching over on Facebook, uh, feel free to comment. I'm going to check that feed periodically. Uh, Riz, we're going to keep some good comments and questions coming through tonight, man. I like it. Let's get right to it. Um, normally, you know, we have a little delay. Normally, we Skype, right? And it's awkward because yeah. you got to find the guy and you got to dial him up. And um, using this new Zoom system, I like it because we've already got our guest sitting waiting here in the wings. We're going to bring him on right now. Um, Ed, I'm going to give you. A, I'm going to give you just this little short intro, and it's the best way I can say it is very, very, very impactful. In my life, in my career, uh, getting to compete against this guy through the Federation. Uh, if you live in the Northeast, you know who he is. You know him from the Bassmaster Classics as well. The one and only Ed Callen joins us tonight. Ed, how you doing? Good. How you doing tonight, Mike? Not too bad. Now, we've wanted, we wanted to have you on this show a really, really long time. And now we finally get you, and it's via Zoom. We wanted you in studio, but... Um, this is okay. This is, I guess, the next best thing. Uh, how, how are you doing? How are you holding up during quarantine? How's the family? Oh, good. Um, I, I would rather sat on the couch. I had to go buy my own founders here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about that? Yes. <laughs> All right. Yes. <laughs> would have been better to drink yours. And I don't have the one of the day. I just have an all-day IPA. All-day IPA is pretty good. So speaking Can't of founders, Ed, Ed brought Can't it up. Can't go wrong. Uh, I've got mine tonight, Brian Carpenter. This is a Masagave. This is a new one, though, and this is the... That's the Masagave grapefruit. Grapefruit. Yeah, so last year we had the Masagave, which is a a ghost-style beer, and it's aged in a tequila barrel. Right. So it's it's got all kinds... It's nice. It's tart. Now, a lot of people watching right now, they're watching me drink it out of this ball mason jar. It's got ice... And it's got salt on salt the room. Salt to room. It, it would be beautiful in a, in a margarita glass right, right now, but we don't have all okay. that. Now, I can hear everybody except Mike pretty well. Mike, you're pretty well on. Oh, I'm low. Okay. How yeah. is that, dude? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I love it. Crank, crank, your, uh, crank your computer volume to the max, Ed. Wow. Yeah, I got it at the max. You come on loud and clear. Everybody else is real good. Mike's low. I I'm low. 
This is the first time in history someone said I speak low. That's right. Wow. <laughs> this is rare. Um, Ed, have you had a chance? Uh, I know a lot of uh, anglers, their fishing schedule has been disrupted by what's going on. Have you had a chance? Have you been fishing around the house? Have you been fishing, tournament fishing? Tell us a little bit about what's going on fishing-wise. Well, um, I was I was working corrections, and uh, I've been uh, looking to retire. And um, so uh, March 18th, I knew I was exposed, um, and I uh, got a doctor's note and um, was um, quarantined for 14 days. I was I was okay. But uh, I chose to retire <laughs> due to this. Wow! And, um, I'm I'm pretty uh, rural here, so uh, there's a couple lakes within a couple miles from my house. Um, you're pretty familiar with the area because I live about 12 miles from Fairview. Wow! You learned how to bass fish, and uh, I I go and drive over, and if there's nobody at the ramp, I go fishing for a little while in the afternoon. You know, so I I've got to fish a couple times a week for the you know six weeks I've been home now. Yeah. Well, congratulations on retirement. Yeah. That's exciting. I've been threatening to retire for the last five years. One of these days I will, too. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, if uh, it was a life and death thing, you would. <laughs> now, that, so, that's, uh, uh, the Fairview Lake thing, it's funny because, Ed, we've talked about it, and I, I'm, I still I've got to get up there and fish that lake with you. Uh, it's phenomenal. And a lot of the fans of the show have heard me talk about it before, but it's uh, – I'd call it a smaller lake up in the Poconos. What is it? Probably 90, 80 or ninety acres, Ed. Not not that big. Uh, I think more about twice that big, but it's not real big. Okay, you know, it's it's not a giant lake, maybe. But it's a phenomenal bass fishery, largemouth and smallmouth. It's phenomenal. Um, it, it's funny because <laughs> you know, like when there's a lake that you have a lot of history with, you know, you remember everything about it, and. Uh, I hadn't been there probably since, I don't know, like college, right? Since probably like the mid-90s. And then about, I don't know, about seven, eight, nine years ago, seven, eight years ago, I went up there uh, on a little family vacation. And it's unbelievable that I remembered everything. You know, like every little like boulder, rock, high spot, you know, like everything. I remembered it. No, no GPS coordinates. Just literally gone out there and and by sight, you know, because when I fished it as a kid growing up, we were in a John boat. There was no GPS. There was no waypoints. Everything was a lineup, you know. And I remember my grandfather lining places up, and he'd say, you know, the flagpole the girl, at, the girls, at the girls' camp, the flagpole with the dock, you know, and, you, and there's a high-tension line, and you'd, you'd have all these coordinates, um, and it's so eerie because I remembered, I remembered every spot like like it was yesterday, you know. And t and ten or fifteen years had passed, and I remembered it like it was yesterday. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, so so before before you before you get off of uh, Fairview, yeah, I, I I was there once. You were. Yeah, you took me there. Took you there one yep. time to the cabins. Yep. Yeah. How old were we? Eighth grade. That sounds about right. Eighth grade or ninth grade, somewhere yeah, in that range. Yeah, somewhere around there. And uh, I, I don't know how many days we fished it, but I feel like you took me home early. 
Did I? Because was the fishing was no good or something? No, because I caught that big trout. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> was I mad at? Yeah. So Brian, <laughs> we did a lot of we we bass fish primarily, but you know back then we had a trolling motor on a john boat, so we'd fish a spot and then you you know you'd put the motor on to get to the next spot. And I can remember like we were fishing. I want to say we were fishing the hump out in the middle, and then we were going toward the main boat ramp. I just remember we were going to make a run across the lake. Yeah. So you were like, yeah, we're going to make a run. I'm like, well, F it. I'm going to throw, you know, I'm going to troll across because we're only on electric only. Oh, you know? yeah. So uh, back back then, there, I don't remember how many different baits we had, but it wasn't many. And one of the main deals yeah. was our Apollo 9S. That was your jerk bait, your top water bait. You know what I mean? That was like, that was like everything. And, so key. Um, and I, I remember throwing that Rapala out there. I, I swear there were boats that had downriggers trolling for trout. And we, wh how deep's that lake? Uh, what is that lake? That lake's, lake's got some deep water in it. Yeah, it's uh, fifty-something feet yeah. deep. Yeah, we trolled over fifty. Yeah, maybe foot. sixty. I trolled a nine S, uh, which dives about a foot deep over fifty foot, and caught a five-pound brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a load of trout in there. Alwife. Yeah. Our wife, baby. Oh, yeah. Love and the guys got, out there with downriggers and shit. Yeah, they were mad at you. Got mad at, you got mad at him for catching the trout and took him home? I don't think I did. I don't recall it that way. It might have been something else. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. I don't know, it was At that point in my life, it was bigger than any trout I had ever caught. That's right. So <laughs> it probably was the truth. <laughs> at that point in my life. It's all water under the fridge at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so so we got we got the ghost of Ike's bent prop shaft on the message board. Ah. And uh, the ghost of Ike's bent prop shaft says, all he saw was dirt and grass, then rocks. I limped into the light. <laughs> <laughs> we, we also had... <laughs> Buck Stronghold Gentleman Bronco, who says <laughs> a soft bottom is the reason why we all got married in our 20s and 30s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. We get some uh, hold, hold on. One more from Buck, from Buck Stronghold. There needs to be a founder's IPA called Ike's Prop Shafts. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. When they're bent, they're bent. There ain't no coming back. <laughs> Slight wobble, big wobble. They're gone. Uh, Ed, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your history in the sport. And for those of you that are watching and listening right now, uh, Ed, you've qualified for two Bassmaster Classics. And more important than that, I think this is, this is more important. You won two Federation National Championships, which... If you're a grassroots guy, that's that's the freaking holy grail of, of accomplishments. Not one, but two. So a giant resume. But I I've got the notes here. But I want to hear it from you, Ed. How did you how did you get into it? Because when I got into it, which was the early '90s, when I got into it and joined my first club and started as a rider and and started to know the names in the federation in Northeast. You were you were one of the guys. You were the guy. But I want to hear from you. How'd you start? How'd you get your start in fishing and in the sport? Well, my grandfather's a pretty fair fisherman, and uh, they tell me I caught a fish when I was eight months old. Wow! Um, <laughs> if you if you look on the Instagram, I'm I got a stringer 
I'm standing next to a Stringer Bass in Gun Lake, uh, Michigan. Well, I'm two years old. I got a picture on there of a 22-inch bass I caught when I was 11. Um, my grandfather had, you know, close to time of retirement, he bought some property on a little lake in Michigan, built a cottage, and I spent my summers there from the time I was 10 to when I was 16, a whole summer. I'd fish every day. And uh, he got me a, pres- a subscription to Fishing Facts and Bassmaster. I've been a bass member since 1972. Wow. So, um, and we had a we had a twelve foot um, Myers V bottom, a six horse Evan root, and uh, and oh, probably when I was twelve, he got a trolling motor, which had like no thrust back then. Sears trolling motor and a green little green box. So, uh, <clears throat> and I'd be my bass master and go out there, you know, when I was twelve years old, and uh, you know, fish and all right up to I've been you know, in the sport since the beginning of the sport. So everything's, everything's a new technique to, to me. I, we started out, you know, before I was bass, we catch most of our, our you know, bass member and follow the tournaments. When I was 10, we were catching our fish on, um, you know, a six inch cream worm with uh, three hooks in it and maybe a spinner, maybe not, which my trajectory, that, that's a spy bait. That's the same presentation as you're fishing the spy bait. Nothing new about it. Old school. There's a spy bait. Okay. Hey, Ed, Ed, can you hear me, Ed? Yeah. That's pronounced Clem. (laughs) What's that? Clem. Clem. It's Clem. Okay, Clem. Clem? Yep. What, do you have to roll the R? There were earthworm colors, and then they became blue, and then they became purple, and they stayed purple a long time until they became green pumpkin. (laughs) That's the the history of, uh, you know, um, and I, you know, I learned a lot. I mean, you fish every day on a good body of water, and you and you learn how to. And you got a depth finder out there, and most of the fish was a lowland type reservoir, so the fish are related to the creek channel. And as the weather in the summer stayed stable, the fish would move up the lake, and you get a front, and they drop back down the lake. And I followed these fish up and down that lake for, you know, eleven weeks every summer, fishing yeah. every day. Yeah. So you know, I uh, and actually I got my first bass club as soon as they let me in. I think um, I think it was 1977 or so. It might have been 76, and uh, you know, and fished the fish bass clubs ever since. You know, was that out in Michigan when you joined your first? No, club? no. I moved. Um, I moved out to uh, the Hudson, Rockland County, New York, by the Tappan Zee Bridge um, when I was 12 years old. So, okay. you know, but when I grew up, so basically, we'd ride our bike and fish. Or, you know, fish around whatever ponds we could uh, sneak into and stuff like that. As soon as I was old enough to drive, I got a, a John boat and started fishing Harriman State Park and things like that. You know, I didn't catch a smallmouth until I was, you know, 16 years old because it's all largemouth fishing in that the part of Michigan. It was, you know, basically a farmland, lowland type reservoir, weeds with a wheat, you know, weedy flats with a 12 foot channel run through it. You know, all right, pretty. Pretty typical. Now, I want to I, I give you a staggering fact here, and for everybody listening. And, and Pete, I want you to listen to this as well. Ed, you've qualified for national championships in 91, 92, 94, 2005, and 2006. That is, that's unbelievable, man. 
That's crazy because yeah. and, and you got to put all this in context too. And I I do wa- I want to talk about this as well, but you got to remember back then, right? In in the in the eighties and nineties, <coughs> the federation there was the Bass Federation. It, it was, was the strongest grassroots league program out there. It was before the split. It was before things got divided. Yeah. It was before FLW had an impact grassroots. I mean, there was BFL, but not through the club level. It was before Major League Fishing. It was before all that stuff. Um, and I can remember, you know, when I first started a- as, a, as a rider, same thing, as a John Boat, started hearing about and reading about the Federation. Man, it's, it's where I wanted to be because I knew how tough it was, right? You hear people now talk about, you know, I want to fish here and here because I want to compete against the best. For me as a kid growing up in Jersey, and Pete, I'll throw it to you on this one. I wanted to fish the New Jersey Federation because I wanted to get to the divisional. I wanted to get to the national because I wanted to compete against the best in the federation. And so many names in Jersey. Uh, Richie Schneiderite. Uh, Ed, Ed, your name was always there. Pig. So, so many. Bob Soley. Ted Soley. So many of these names. Pete Glusick, you wouldn't aim in there. Bogo. That I wanted to compete against. Um, it was the place to be. You remember that, Pete? You remember that uh, wanting to go compete against these guys? Oh man, it was I, I. It was the best. It was the absolute best. It's it's there was a lot. There was options like FLW had the option. You had the the um, uh, B, well BFLs. What were they called? The Redmans. That was out there. There were some tournament trails out there. Nowhere near what there is today. The Federation was where it was. That was where there was tremendous talent there. Uh, we were drawing a ton of boats uh it was very very competitive and and that was the you know that was the recipe to get to the classic you know you had to go you you qualified for the the divisional which was hard because in jersey we had a really competitive and people around the country might not right they're thinking to themselves probably what jersey competitive you know it was it was highly competitive uh, in our federation, heck, uh, there was five or six guys that went out on tour and made classics all from the Jersey Federation. So it was, it was competitive. We all wanted to go to the divisional, and it was it was an amazing thing that the federation had together at that point with a trip to the national. And, um, and it's amazing, Ed, how many times you've been to the national. I can't imagine how many divisionals that you qualified for. To, to qualify for the national so many times, you know, what do you, what do you credit that to? I, I noticed what you just said about Jersey being so competitive um, all the time in the Federation and putting even for a small state, that amount of guys on tour. What do you credit that to? Is it because the lakes are that we fish are so tough? Is it the style that we have to learn how to fish? What, what, do you, what, what, what creates that? Uh, you know, I only can say guys like Ed, Guys like Ed and and Rich Schneider, you know, the excellence that they had in their tournament competitions, um, you know, they they were taking it to the next level, uh, you know, before a lot of other people were. And and, and I want to, you know, remember this about Ed, because I remember when you came to the Federation, Ed, we were out there, you know, I was competitive. I I was mentored by Rich Schneider. He's won so many 
uh, federation tournaments. He's qualified for so many teams and divisionals, been to the national a few times. And uh, he was great. He was a great mentor, taught me so much. And you came into the Jersey Fed with a whole different brand of fishing that was different and, in, and just as incredibly successful. But the two things that stand out for Ed Cowan and me that always was was the deal that that I was so so hard to learn how to compete with you on was number one sight fishing in in the springtime when the fish were spawning you were you were on the cutting edge of that technique and you dominated during those sight fishing tournaments um, when you first came in to fish with us the other one was was the flipping technique you you came in flipping shallow habitat you, you flipping heavy weights doing stuff that a lot of guys weren't doing but and just coming in and, and dominating you know during those periods and that you know that exposure i think to answer your question rich uh is what is what elevated us and there was tremendous competition i mean i was out there ike was there there's a guy named tim roach that was highly competitive and we were driving each other solely we were pushing each other uh, to get better and, and better. And, and, you know, that was the, and it was all happened right there in the Federation. But, um, but Ed, you were amazing. You came in and taught us, Hey, we better start learning how to catch these fish off the bed. Yeah. Well, the, I won that 91 national championship bed fishing. Um, and, uh, you know, I was ahead of the curve. Now everybody knows how to bed fish. I pretty much, it was funny because you, I fished a tournament on Greenwood Lake with a uh, Frank Geiner and I, had like five bass spawning along the shoreline and it was a popular spot and we're running by and I tell him I got five fish there. He says, no way they're still there, you know? And, and we got there about two o'clock in the afternoon. I told him one would be gone because it was like on the edges between this ramp and a dock, anybody that ever fished for bass was going to cast right there. So with all this pressure, I knew somebody catch that fish eventually, but those other four were still there at two o'clock during the tournament after this, Got you know because people just didn't bed fish you know yeah. back then so um I ran but, um, I ran from it I still run from it sometimes <laughs> but Rich Snyright was a big influence to me and uh, the thing I had an epiphany about 1990 I basically looked at what different guys that were successful were weighing in and and Snyright was so successful. And the thing I figured out about Snyderite is you couldn't possibly catch more fish than this man. This man weighed a limit every single day he was on the water. And that's what prompted me to flip so much. I, I figured out that in order to – I watched um, Joe Sancho and uh, a Tom Bellucci. Now, they, Bellucci. Back, way back then, <laughs> Joe was really young. and They they weren't that consistent like Snyderite, but they, they flipped a lot, and they – what they were weighing in were bigger average fish. So I had this epiphany. I realized I had, you know, the traditional wisdom in tournament fishing at the time is you go catch a limit, then call. Well, you don't have time to do that. You better start calling from right, right away. You got to start fishing for big fish. I started just targeting bigger fish and, uh, you know, it really paid off to me. That's why I started having more success because you can only bring in five a day. Now at the MLF, you can bring up in a million, so it probably mm -hmm. might not have worked out. So I couldn't beat Rich like that if I if I let him catch a bunch of fish. But uh, I could catch bigger fish than him. And I found that my catch rate didn't fall 
off enough to make up for this increased size of the fish. You know, four threes weigh more than five twos. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. And, Basically, and, the math of the whole thing. Yeah, and Pete, you hit it on the head. And, you, oh, you, you talk and by about, the same token, like I, what you're saying about Jersey, you're so right about Jersey. I fished the New York Federation and qualified for the '91, '92, and '94 um, Federation Championships. And in '94, after the Federation Championship, Tony Going, the Federation President, you know, he talked to me at, at the national that Brian Kershaw won there, and he said. He said, you're, hey, you're fishing with uh, Bellucci and Sancho. All your buddies are in New York, you know, the Jersey Fed. You fished one of our tournaments in one. What the heck are you running upstate New York for all the time? You live 10 miles from Greenwood Lake. You know, you should fish with us. So I switched over to New Jersey, and it took me five years to make it back to the national championship after going three times in four years. I started wondering if it was really a smart thing to join the tougher group like that <laughs> after a while. Oh man, we we were always mad at Tony for that, Mike, and that used that pissed us off because Tony was like uh, the college basketball coach that would drive all over in like the surrounding states and recruit the best anglers from those states and try to try to draw them in to to fish on his state team. And Ed was at the top of anybody's recruiting list, and and Tony got him. So. Yeah, he did. <laughs> And you know, the first year I fished, uh, the first year I fished the Jersey Fed, I was angling a year, and it was relatively. Uh, I found it relatively easy. I won three of their six tournaments, and um, basically, a lot of the lakes we fish are pretty small, like Greenwood, Hapakon. Greenwood was basically my home lake anyway, and um, I run around and I have to run on the lakes the way I, my style of fishing, and um, you know, because everybody's trying to fish like. Rich Snidewright, because, you know, rightfully so, he'd uh, dominated that circuit for a while. And then um, I'm not sure if it was 95 or 96, but all of a sudden there was this uh, this young kid with long hair with this uh, some kind of beige color um, ranger boat that was fishing everywhere. I wanted to fish and fishing just like me. Uh, I think we all know who he is. Them long hairs, you got to watch out for them long hairs. Hippies. They're a bunch of hippies. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. noticed, you know, even before Mike was real successful, he was on my radar from day one. In your spots. <laughs> we, thought, we thought with the corona deal, Mike, you might, you might get some corona locks growing. But I don't I, see that. No, no long hair yet. No. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and nobody noticed him from screaming because he was real quiet back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was up with that, Mike? Uh, I was I was screaming inside. I just didn't want to. I want to let nobody in on the spot. I talked I talked <laughs> to Ed about this a little earlier. And Dave, do you remember the early days of tournament fishing with Mike? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, we would we would hang out the night before. We'd talk about you know where we're fishing tomorrow. We might even have been at the bar the night before. Come tournament day, right? Launch our boats, you know, help each other get the boats in the water. Eleven o'clock, you're 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 passing each other on the bank. Yo, Mike, how you making out? Crickets, not a word. He wouldn't even look up. He look at you, and then head back down and keep going. Wouldn't even respond to you. Like, motherfucker, I was buying you drinks last night. What you talking about? <laughs> Did I do that? Yeah. 
Yeah, you did that. That's <laughs> horrible. I'm sorry for doing that. And then the tournament's <laughs> over. Oh, Brian, you didn't catch a limit? You're remember- <laughs> hey, Brian, you're remembering this all wrong. He wouldn't even go out and drink the night before. <laughs> no. You're right. You're right. Going the draw. You're right. He wouldn't even come out with us, dude. Yep. Yep. You're right. Lucas. Yes. Hey, right. Mike, earlier I heard you say that you and Brian are at least 12 feet apart from each other. I guess the good thing is you're only about 11 feet from his hammer, dude. I know. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. The tip's right there. It feels like it's right next to me. It's horrific. Yeah. Um, it's disgusting. I do want to get back to, Pete, what you talked about, which I, I want to get back, and I, I want to corner you on this a little, Ed, because I got I to gotta, I gotta figure this out in my mind. The two techniques that Pete mentioned, I'd say sight fishing for sure is one, and the other one's flipping, but especially flipping the big stuff like punching, you know, big jig, a big jig even in super shallow water, punching a big weight through mats. Dude, you were, Ed, you were so ahead of your time on that one. Like, it, so ahead of your time that it makes me mad when I, you know, in the last 20 years, I've run into people all the time, and they say, oh, I know so-and-so, and, you know, he invented punching in, in 93, or, you know, or, you know, he was the best, and I and I stop and I think, that's fucking wrong, that's bullshit, because I saw Ed punching in a federation tournament on the Hudson River before there was tungsten. There wasn't even tungsten yet. How did I got to wrap my hands around? How you did you figure that out on your own? Did you borrow that from another angler? I know you mentioned Sancho a little. You mentioned some of those guys. But those particular techniques, <coughs> sight fishing, punching, you were so ahead of the curve. You were so ahead of the curve. And, and these techniques now are mega techniques, especially punching. Think of how many tournaments. Brian Carpenter, let's get a count. You're good. Research it real quick. <laughs> yeah, right. How many tournaments have been won punching, let's say, in the last 10 years? Well, shit, you were punching since, like, the late 80s. How is this possible? Um, yeah, well, uh, well, first the sight fishing, um, basically there was a fellow in, in, uh, Massachusetts, Larry Allard. Uh, he's, I, he was old when I was starting out and, uh, and he said that you could catch every single bass on a bed, on a bed. If you could see him, you could catch him. Now, uh, he didn't tell me how to catch him. He didn't tell me a thing, but I had a, the utmost respect for him. So I parked myself there until I figured out how to catch the darn things because he told me it could be done. And uh, maybe he was just lying to me, but it could be done. <laughs> so now, um, now the punching is, it's, uh, I don't know if, um, I've heard you talk before about the drop speed thing. I think, you know, rate of fall. Yeah. Punching is technique, but I think I evolved more about speed control, how fast a lure can, how you can get a reaction with speed out of a lure. And that stems from right, like in 1972, like when I started reading fishing facts, there was this guy, Buck Perry. I don't know if anybody even oh, yeah. heard of him anymore, but he had this system that there was a, basically a, a crankbait trolling system. And um, with the equipment of the day, the depth finders, 
the reels were slow. I mean, I got this thing sitting here. That's the casting reel I learned how to cast with. When you cast, the things spun, spun backwards. The gear ratio probably picks up about 15 inches of line. So he could get a speed out of his lure by trolling that you couldn't get retrieving. And so he would basically have this system where he'd start shallow. He had his own these crazy crankbaits he made that were made out of metal. And he'd start shallow at, at a given, you know, let's say go two feet and he'd uh, increase his speed down the bank. And he could also map because he could feel the bottom. And then he'd move out to four feet and start slow and go faster and faster and, and deeper and faster and deeper. Crankbaits back in the early, you know, early to mid 70s, they wouldn't run more than maybe the deepest diving one, eight feet on a cast, especially with these slow reels. But by trolling, they'd run maybe twice as deep. So, um, so the speed thing came out of that. Well, you can't troll really during a tournament. Uh, one way you could gain more speed was I know like Tom Mann used like a saltwater spinning reel like this. I still have mine. And uh, for some to gain get enough speed to get reaction bites, sometimes I'd fish this, you know, saltwater surf cast and spinning reel that uh, it probably picked up 30 inches of line on a reel turn and it weighs about a pound. So, um, so I started to get speed, worked on drop speed, more weight. I learned that you could get a reaction bite by using a heavier weight. And, uh, of course, you can get into the weeds better using a heavier heavier weight. So it was more of a, a retrieve speed thing, the drop speed and the punch and just developed from that. And I fished the Hudson a lot. It had the chestnuts. You'd run a Johnson Silver Minnow over them, and a fish might bust through when they're not biting. You'd have to use something heavier enough to get through the chestnut to get to the fish, you know. So yeah. Kind of, kind of. Developed it, and some other guys were developing it at the same time. Uh, I um, I reproduced. I got a few up on uh, on the eBay of uh, this jig. You uh, let's see, where is it? You you recognize that flat sided thing? Maybe. Let me see that thing. You ever seen those? It's like a punch jig. Yeah. This this lure. Tony Going was. It, it, oh, it to your left. Where am I? There I. There you go. Tony Looks like was you'd shoot out of a musket. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's thin <laughs> and it's pointy, and this thing uh really goes through the milfoil. There's there was more milfoil up in the Finger Lakes and things back then, and uh, Greenwood and the Pacon. We were we were flipping that thing in the weeds on Greenwood Lake in the '80s. So whoever told you that they learned they you know developed punching in the '90s was ten ten years behind. Uh, you know, guys like Tom LaVictory and me. and How me much is that, that? How much does that jig weigh, Ed? The one you were just um, this This one's an ounce. Wow. Yeah, it's an ounce. I uh, I had some left over from the old days, and uh, I was running out, so I reproduced them all mm -hmm. and uh, poured myself a few. I got, I'm got. Uh, looking for something to do in my isolate social, you know, distancing here, so I got a few up on eBay. Uh, is there a weed guard on there? Yeah, yeah. That's that's just for, so you can see the wacky shape of this thing. I got just a blank here. This is a this is a black and there's a black and blue one. Hell yeah! With a regular standard weed guard. I I changed the angle of weed guard from what the original was. The it was like an ocean. It's, the hook was terrible back in the '80s. Um, this is a mustad hook. I usually pour most of my stuff on VMC. 
Mike. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, this is a pretty long jig, and this some when you make your own stuff, you got the advantage of uh, find if if you're a manufacturer and you can order ten thousand of these hooks, you can get BMC or somebody or whoever you want to to make the one for you. Otherwise, you got to sort through the catalogs and find something that's going to work for you. Yeah, it's giant. Looks like like looks like Lex Steel's foreskin, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean you're not fishing. I I won um, I won a New York Federation on on Cayuga in 1988 with that jig. Wow, <laughs> in the milfoil, and I was and I you know what I was I think I was fishing real close to where that last uh, elite got one there. <laughs> wow, but the, the the grass used to be heavier out there. I um, when I got out of school, I caught. Four four pounders on consecutive flips. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's stuff, crazy. You know? And it was twenty five mono and you know one ounce jig and uh... <laughs> mono mono. <laughs> the uh, the fishing the fishing musician on the message board wants to know um, if this is the milfoil custom gallon jig. Where can he get one? Oh, they got him on eBay. eBay. Put Ed Cowan C O W A N jig. And it'll come. Or if we put Ed Cowan, you know, under sporting goods, you'll get my. I got several things up there. I got my new uh, little baby spinner bait. I mean, buzz bait. Hey, you know, we you know we work with Tackle Warehouse, <laughs> oh. man. We got to make this happen. Let's get you on there. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, Hold that yeah. up again. I don't know. I don't yet have the. Uh. I'm hand pouring these things, so you know, <laughs> Tackle Warehouse. I'd be working 200 hours a week. <laughs> Dave, Dave Brodzik, did you see that image right there? What Ed just held up? That little buzz bait yeah. with a tube on it. Yeah. Do you what want royalties or? No, I mean, look, Ed's a pioneer. You know, two two smart guys. Even though he's not Polish, they, you know, he can have a great idea too. You know what? Um, me and Frank Geiner fished the like the Foxwoods tournaments. They gave away boats and uh. On the weekends, you know, around um, New England, basically, and we would take apart a Cavatron buzz bait, pull the blade off, string a gets it over the thing until it went down over the head, put the whole thing back together, and um, and fish it like that. And the reason we did that with the eighth ounce buzz bait, I know Mike did real good in a recent tournament with that. They went on a spinning rod. Well, you know, I don't fish a spinning rod a whole lot. Uh, not that I'm against the fishing the spinner rod. It's the right thing to do a lot of times, but uh, I got some carpal tunnel and my hand goes to sleep when I fish with a spinner rod. And, you know, and back <laughs> in the 90s, you didn't have braid. So if you're fishing a spinner rod, you're fishing with an eight-pound test. Well, I can throw this little equivalent of an eight-ounce buzz bait on a bait caster rod, you know, like 15-pound line and, uh, you know, fish and pull a good fish out of, a, you know, pretty – the kind of stuff that they – live in when they eat this thing. Wow. So, Ed, it looks like Mike for... Okay. <laughs> so, Ed, when I'd come up with the idea, I'd come up with putting it on a, on a small buzz bait like that, too, and I was using the Strike King 52 on braid specifically so I could skip it under docks and skip it under overhangs and put the buzz bait in a presentation in a position where fish don't usually see one. You know, I didn't do it for casting distance or anything like that. I did it just to specifically skip it. Oh yeah, that's the beauty too of um, you know, plastic trailer like a like a frog or that tube on a buzzbait is that you can skip it. But you know what? I you know I fished 
early nineties on the pro circuit and, and stuff like that. There's a regular fraud one I make. Um, guys from this part of the country don't know how to can't cast because uh, we're mostly throwing at weeds and you don't need to have to know how to cast to throw at a weed. <laughs> so I found like when I went and fished the pro circuit, some of those guys down south are uh, just amazing. Their casting ability, you know, you know, you watch some of the MLF and some of those guys can cast. It's unbelievable what they can do. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, but the skipping, yeah, that's a big advantage of it too, the ability to skip it. But it doesn't come into play that much, most of the waters I fish, because mostly I'm fishing around weeds. All right. All right. I want to, I want to get back to this and I want, I want Pete to weigh on this, weigh in on this as well as Ed. Um, I've heard it, a lot of people, especially recently, in the last couple of years, have said that the heyday of bass fishing, the heyday of competitive bass fishing was the mid to late 80s all the way up to about the mid-2000s. You hear it a lot, especially the 90s, the heyday of competitive bass fishing. And when, when I look at that, when I hear people talk about it, I see a lot of, I, I draw a, a, a parallel with when the Federation was strong, right? When the BASS grassroots program, before it was the Bass Nation, back when it was the BASS Federation, it was strong back then. You know, you put that bass sticker on your truck. Dave, you remember? Brian Carpenter, remember? When you were a bass member, dude, you were proud. You stuck that sticker yeah. on the back window. It it felt like something, you know. It felt it like it was our suburban. It was our suburban gang sign. Dude. Yeah, it was a gang <laughs> sign. It was a gang <laughs> sign. But it, it it felt important, you know. Everyone from from New Jersey to California, you root it for the guys in the federation, right? Uh, Kershaw still do. They still yeah, right. Kershaw is a great example, like. Man, I was I was rooting for him, and I rem I vividly remember that. And I remember fishing my my national, winning my national championship, and th the feeling that came with that. And then this split happened. Oh man! And do you remember the year, Pete? Can you give me a year, or Ed? Do you have a year that the split happened? Uh, Got to be two thousand six, because yeah, oh six oh seven six. I was at the last national. Yep. before the split, and. When that happened, it it was severed, right? Was that the that it almost felt like the beginning of the the end, because you had this giant unity of grassroots guys that they believed heart and soul. They believed in it, and this was the route to the pro circuit. This is how the common man could compete and win and all that. And then it was divided, and ever since then, it just it's never felt right. Yeah. Nothing's felt right at that level. I, I I want you guys to talk about it. Brian, you agree with what I'm saying? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, what were the, you know, what were the fields like back then versus now? Right. So, everything got split, right? So, okay, so New so, Jersey got FLW Federation, yeah. a BASS Nation. Nobody knows what what's what. It's all it's all fractured and severed. So talk about fractured. <coughs> you know what I mean with what's yeah. go, what's what's going on what what's well, taking now, place in the last couple years. Right. Now you got MLF. Now you got FLW. You got all this other stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with this, Pete? Jump in. I want to hear. I want to hear it from you. 
Well, I, I'll, yeah, I'll comment on it. You know, I was. It's funny because I was going to ask the same thing. That the '80s seemed to be the boom. That's when they were selling unbelievable amounts of bass boats every year, and it just the the sport exploded into the '80s. And you were you were around doing it then, Ed. I didn't even know about the sport at that time, um, but the '80s was where it boomed. I'm with you about the federation. Um, and the Federation was really important to us. And the, the, the interesting thing that I did have noticed about the Federation, Mike, is like guys like down the South, uh, I don't know that their Federation, the Federation was as important to them as it was to us. I'm not, I'm not sure that like, uh, you know, I see, um, you know, I see, see some of the guys that fish the tournaments down there. They, they, you know, do a lot of cherry picking of tournaments and fish different types of tournament trails. I don't know the Federation. It, it just, it was weird, but I, I don't know. That's kind of off the beaten path. I agree with you though. When the, when we had one to pro tournament trail, when we had one Federation, it was, uh, the, that was a great time. It was a really a wonderful time in the sport. And, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. I, I'm interested in Ed's opinion. You went through the eighties. And you're seeing what's going on now. We got MLF. They're all over different television channels. There's there's more pros out there now. Is this the heyday of the sport? Was it bigger in the '80s? What do you think? Um, well, I got a two two uh, two prong answer um, for a local angler, for a weekend guy. You know, the in the Northeast, probably the nine, you know, the mid '80s through the '90s was like the best time they had. Big tournaments, uh, yeah. a lot of small companies, a lot of things sponsored. There was, um, you know, the Federation was real strong. It was a, a big circuit in the Northeast. They had um, the Foxwoods out of uh, Connecticut, Lee Bailey. He was good. He, Lee Bailey had a $200 tournament on the weekend. His entry fees went up to 350 by the end of his, uh, his thing. Everybody there was anybody in New England was fishing these things, and he was giving away a boat. The the year in '99 when Bob Soley made the Bassmaster Classic, I fished the Foxwoods with a Frank Geiner, and we won more money a piece than he did fishing pro, making it to the Bassmaster Classic just fishing in New England on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, and putting up two hundred dollar entry fees. So so for the local guy, the Federation guy, you know the um. The 90s was really, really the time. Yeah. I was there for the very last national championship when the split happened in 2006. And then I fished. Uh, so I was national championship in the Bass Federation in 2005. And I fished the Strength Series, which is like the AAA level of FLW at the time. And uh, when I went on and FLW took over the Federation, I'd go on stage. They wouldn't say a thing about it. They didn't. You know, they were not committed to the Federation. That told me right there. You'd think if you had your Federation trash national championship from two years earlier and and the Federation was part of your organization, they would uh, make a big deal about that. And it never came up on stage. And I had some pretty high finishes. I was there when you won that one on the Hudson, came in fifth place at that tournament. And that was, you did a heck of a job there. That was one of the great performances of all times. In my book, I remember that one. Always. But as far as being a pro angler, I, I wish I was 30 years younger right now because this is the heyday. Well, let's say um, 2019 was the best time to be a pro angler there. Yeah. You know, 
there's ever been. I don't know about now, <laughs> but you know, with the with the competition between there was three major circuits with the competition, these guys were actually you know, guys that were never making a living before, making good living, and uh, they got no entry to, no entry fee tournament there with the MLF. You know, I mean, it's finally really a real pro sport. Or it was. I don't know what this is going to do to it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about that, Mike? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, definitely, the world's going to change. You know, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, we're not. We don't go backwards. Hopefully, it's not stagnant. You know, we continue to to go forward. Um, but that actually brought me to another question, Ed, that I that I want to ask you. And, uh, you mentioned it a little bit. You know, you you dabbled in the pro realm for a little while. You fished a lot of what I consider pro stuff, which is strands and opens. Um, you, you dabble in that stuff. But what I said in the beginning of the interview, I, I, I want to get back to it, and I want to corner you on this, is true. And, and listen to me when I say this. I know there are a lot of people watching and listening right now. I've competed. I've competed against a lot of dudes, a lot of dudes from all over the country, all over the world. You for sure, Ed, you're one of the, the best, most natural fishermen I've ever seen. And it's hard to just it's hard to put that into you know, it's hard to say describe what that is, a natural fisherman. The ability to catch them with you know, you don't need a lot of stuff. You're just natural that you find them and catch them. You're one of the best natural fishermen I've ever competed against, yet you never took it to the next level. Right, you, you. In my opinion, you're better than Van Dam. <laughs> you're better than Aaron Martins. Shots fired. You're better than Skeet. I'm serious. I'll say it. I don't care. Let him call the show right now. <laughs> you're better than those guys. You are. I'm. I'm telling you, you're better than those guys. Yet you never, you know, you never, you never decided to do it full time. You never took it to that next level. There are a lot of people watching right now that have half the talent you have that are going to take it or going to attempt to take it to the next level. Talk, talk to me about that. You've got you to talk to me about that. Well, um, several factors. Well, well, for one, like Van Dam, I fished with a bunch of guys. Like back when I fished uh, 91 to like 94 to BESS Invitationals. That was six tournaments a year. But I, I held down a full time job and did a vacation some some time off without pay. Um, I fished with Van Dam. He's one of the few anglers. There's three three anglers that I've ever fished with, and I've never fished with Mike. Um, that had something that the rest of them didn't have, and that's uh, Kevin Van Dam, Brian Kershaw, George Cochran. Those guys are just uh, just something about them. They have something that I I don't think I got, even if you think I do. Um, Part of it is just like fishing all my life. Uh, fishing's really more than art than science. There's a lot of fancy equipment, a lot of uh, information, you know, and uh, it's more art than science. Um, I, I like to fish a lot by instinct. Uh, Clun, Clun's a very instinctive fisherman. Um, I I usually look at a lake on a big picture. Basically, you got your overall population. It's a balance between population and um vulnerability of of the fish that uh you know i decide how i try to decide what i want to target but um I, you know if, uh, if it's if it's 
uh, this natural things probably being out there fishing 100 days straight when i was 11 12 13 years old yeah and and the whole world was just learning how to bass fish then right you know? yeah um but that's uh the decision to go pro that's that's a real risky thing to do um in the early 90s when i did it there was only six guys from the northeast fishing at all and uh it was really a southern sport um you know, when I was only married, when I made the first classic in 91, I'd only been married for a couple of years. I, uh, I was out fishing um, in 93, these tournaments with my uh, pregnant wife at home, no cell phones because they didn't have cell phones. And, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, you can really take a toll on your family. It's just a risk, your affinity to take risk and uh, family, you know, balance between. And, and also in the early 90s, I, I went to um, the classic, 91 classic was fantastic. But when I went to my first um, invitational after the classic was uh, on the um, on the Illinois River. And uh, I was uh, I was ninth the first day and I moved up to sixth the second day. And uh, I blew my motor the third day, didn't make way and ended up finishing, I don't know, in teens. I probably got up in the wall here someplace. It was pretty tough fishing. But um there, there wasn't any spectators, you know, in 91, I'm, I'm going to this thing, you know, a uh, thousand miles from home and, you know, fish this thing. And it's like, there's really nothing to this sport. You know, in 1991, it wasn't a legitimate, you know, it wasn't a pro sport. Right. It wasn't, you know, and then, you know, I fished the early nineties and decided not to. And then I came back to New Jersey and, you know, really, there wasn't a flow of information there is now. So the guys that I was fishing against, uh, and those invitationals in 91, 92, 93, they, they were 10 years ahead of the guys in, you know, the Northeast. So when I came home with this knowledge, 10 years advanced to what everybody else had, it was, it was pretty easy for a while. I, I made a bunch of, I won a bunch of money in, in the late nineties locally. And then, um, I was good friends with Brian, Brian Kershaw. I actually, I got to a point that uh, my goal was to the second national championship. I didn't even care about going to the 2005 classic. I wanted that Brian Kershaw trophy. And that's uh, why I kept competing at that level yeah. at that point was just to win that one tournament. Yeah. So um, you wow. know, I was real glad to have won that. Yeah. Why? So I mean, my son's name, Brian, he was a got a bunch of stories about him. <laughs> Yeah. He was traveling with me in the early after '94, making the classic. He was one of the ones that I went was going around on the pro tournaments that that year. Wow, what well, that's yeah. I, I I think it's amazing, you know, because Pete he Ed brought up the reality of fishing full time, which is it's not just I'm more to it. Yeah, it's there's more to it, right? There's not just you know the glory and the trophies and the money. It's time away from home. It's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It's commitment. It's, you know, being away from your wife, your kids. I mean, it's a, it's a decision. And, and, Ed, you decided not to do it. You decided not to get to those next levels. Do you ever, ever second-guess your decision not to keep pushing higher, 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 to not fish the elites, to not fish the tour? Do you ever regret that decision? Well, um you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Like in 2005, when I, 
I made the classic by winning the Federation National Championship. They um they had this fish in the dream thing where uh, that was the first year for the elites. I qualified for the elites by winning that tournament. I got offered a, a full sponsorship to fish fish that uh, the elites, but I was uh, doing fairly well in construction. If I knew that the uh, housing market was going to collapse in 2007, I'm you know I probably would have fished the elites. But uh, from uh, the information I had, 2005, it was uh, more fiscally responsible to stay home and make money building stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were probably there, right. There, there's so much to it. I mean, you 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 said it, Mike. There's so much more to it than fishing uh, to be able to make it at the top level. And you 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 do. You're spending time away. You, you, the financial strain that it puts on your relationship, uh, you know, to try to do this thing is is more than a lot of people can can take. And you know, it's a big. It, it is a big risk. And you said so, – I got to weigh in on this because I think it's important about Ed. Uh, I want to – like the guys on the West Coast, Mike, they're always talking about D. Thomas, mm. you know. Yeah. And I, I put Ed Cowan in that range. Hell, yeah. People that have influenced guys like you and me yep. and other guys that have gone on uh, to fish professionally and win and, and make classics and stuff. And uh, you're, you're definitely in that category, Ed. And – you talked about the guys you fished with that showed something different. And I want to talk about the, the time that I spent around you that, that showed me that you are different and you're special in a way that's exceptional that when we, we fished a team tournament together. Was it on the, we did one on the Lake George. Yeah. Lake George. That was the one we fished together. I thought we might've done another one, like on the Hudson or something. I can't remember, but you, you were captain. And you guys never fished a team tournament. There's 12 guys that qualify to get there. And, and Ed was the captain, uh, the guy that finished highest in the points. And he's in charge of, of basically strategy. That's how we worked it in our state. And the captain, you know, helped us strategize. And you, you approached fishing in such a simplistic way, a brilliant way, you know, where we would have our practices and you would assemble the information. All right. How many guys fish shallow? How many guys fish deep? How many, you know, and you would, you would put the numbers together and I can't remember what they looked like, but I remember, I vividly remember you saying, okay, well, we're, we're 80% of our guys are catching them shallow or whatever we're doing. And, you know, we're going to practice that way the rest of the time. And you assemble guys together. Okay. Well, you're really not good at fishing shallow. So we're going to put you in the boat with somebody that is. You paired up the co's and the boaters, developed a great strategy so that so that our team had the best chance to go out there and win. And you you took this insurmountable, complicated, you know, patterns and all different techniques and all this stuff. And in in such a short time, you developed a winning strategy, and we went out and crushed the field. You know, and that. To me, like I've tried to duplicate that kind of thinking because you get bogged down with doc talk. You get bogged down with, you know, all these crazy spin baits and, you know, whopper plopper techniques and who's doing what. But your ability to cut through all that bullshit and get to the winning was, I think that is what separates you from a lot of guys that I've met in the fishing world. Yeah, those things were – I learned a lot being on those state teams. Uh, 
I, uh, some of these guys all are, you know, one, every man for himself, but, uh, the, the state gave us such support. I couldn't see, you imagine you fishing all year and, uh, and qualifying for this thing and then going to some place hundreds of miles from your home and be the one guy out of 12 that wouldn't catch anything because nobody will tell you anything. I, I wasn't going to let that happen, you know? And, the, and actually that tournament, um, that, you were talking about was Lake George and it wasn't shallow. It was deep. It was crazy deep. And I, I was actually, uh, taking, taking turns, taking guys that had never caught a fish on a jig and spoon out. Cause there was this school of fish that had so many fish that was ridiculous. And I would take guys out during practice and teach them how to catch fish on a jig and spoon. And how deep did you catch the fish there, Pete? Yeah. I, I tell this story all over deep as I ever caught fish caught them down from 90 to a hundred feet. Jeez, uh, I, you know, it's the only time I've ever seen fish go that deep. But you were actually catching them deeper than me in that tournament. Yeah, yeah. Me and the Rich Snyder right had a school going in 108 feet of water. <laughs> it actually, you know, it's like, um, it was well, actually pretty. It was pretty simple. Basically, this lake it's a was formed by a glacier and it's crystal clear, as clear as a swimming pool. And this little stuff called sand grass grows to about 50 feet. So in the morning, the fish should be up on the edge of the sand grass in 50 feet of water. And then it's like they'd be on a weed edge in three feet of water if you couldn't see into the water. And then during the day, they'd go to the first drop-off was at like 65 feet. So the primary patterns was in the morning at 50, at 50 at the weed edge. And then, and then you move out to the first drop and then you move out later to the second drop, which was like 100. <laughs> so, but... But the, those numbers don't mean anything. And actually, you can identify the forage. Will, the forage base and the thermocline will depend determine how deep a bass will go. And basically, if you get up in um, in the North Country in these natural lakes, if you got lake trout, there's water. There's oxygen below the thermocline because lake trout often live in 150 feet of water. Matter of fact, when we were on these schools of smallmouth in 80 to 100 feet of water. They'd stop biting, and then you catch a lake trout because the lake trout are a bigger predator. And uh, the main forage in that lake is smelt, and smelt live in real deep water. So, not, nothing. It's just yeah. It, it's just it's just more complicated, and you make it sound like it's a war. <laughs> that's just that, that's the that's the beauty of Ed Cowan right there, Mike. Hey Pete, uh, <laughs> the message board is uh, lit up. We have a lot of people that want to know. How long does it take for your weightless Senko to hit the bottom of 180 feet? <laughs> <laughs> take a long time. Take a really Quite a long while. time. It's, st it's still sinking. <laughs> well, we were fishing. That was before drop shots, before GPSs. Um, we are doubling the line on our marker buoys. Oh, that's one thing I wanted to mention while I, I'm scattered brain all over the place. I really enjoy when I see Mike at one of these pro tournaments or the MLF do things I know he learned in the Federation in the 90s. That is the coolest thing. There are some things he does that's absolutely New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Nobody else does that. Oh, yeah. And, um, What's it? <laughs> what, like, like, like cut guys off their points? Like, what are you talking yes. about? Yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> yeah. You see him throw a marker buoy more than anybody. And I still have marker buoys. throwing marker buoys in the water. These The crazy little tiny buzz bait. You know, just things. There's just things. You know they came from New Jersey. You yes. know he learned it in the Top Rod and at the Jersey Federation. And it's like, it makes me proud why I see him do some of these things. Yes. It's like, I know how he learned that. Jersey to but, the core. So anyway, you got to consider also, we got no GPS. We got a flasher depth finder. I got two ounce Hopkins on a five and a half foot pistol grip rod with monofilament line. 
Johns Hopkins. You know, people don't consider. I don't know how we live through some of this. On stuff. a pistol grip. On a pistol. <laughs> on a boron. Across Lake Ontario in the fog on a compass. You know, <laughs> yeah. with no cell phone. I mean. <laughs> The rod wasn't even graphite. It was boron. Uh, let me remind everybody watching and listening right now, we've got Mr. Ed Callen on. Uh, great, great, amazing angler. Uh, a lot of insight on the history of the sport right now. If you've got a question, hit us up on the IMs. Rich, what do we got coming through? Give us. Let's, let's play a little catch-up. Chad in Canada wants you guys to talk a little bit about the similarities between uh, bass fishing and gambling because essentially <laughs> it's, a, it's a professional sport that you're, you, you are, well, in the entry fee days, you are gambling on yourself. Braz. Um, and you're, 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 you're playing the odds that you're going to catch the five biggest fish in the lake that day. And, uh, so, so go, go in on, go in on that yeah. a little bit. Like talk about how you weighed your risk versus your reward. And yeah. you know, well, maybe that influenced whether you decided to go full time or not. Yeah. I mean, it- well, yeah, I, I didn't go full time. So I guess uh, it wasn't that high a risk. Um, you know what? Like the fed- that federation program back in the day was 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 awesome. I when I went to the Bassmaster Classic in two thousand five, I figured it cost me twenty five hundred dollars, and I had a thirteen year old boat that I I got on a you know a sponsorship deal from Ranger in you know ninety three when I was fishing the pro circuit. So I you know I'm I'm not a twenty five hundred dollars. Gambling, you don't bet more than you can afford to lose. So, and, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, basically, a trip to the Bassmaster Classic, the Bush Shootout, uh, winning the national championship on a twenty-five hundred dollars investment wasn't much of a gamble. <laughs> I got, I got to weigh in here, Mike, because I, we, we, uh, we, we wanted to hire the Johnston brothers that are lighting it up on the Bassmasters tour. We wanted them to do some seminars for us. Yeah. Really, you know, cutting edge guys, right? Yeah. We couldn't hire him. Reason why we couldn't hire him is because the country of Canada considers bass fishing gambling. <laughs> wow. Wow. And oh, you heard it here, folks. Wow. Yeah. So so what happens is they're they're allowed to come to the country and, and spend all the time here and and the money that they win is gambling winnings, right? So that's I, I don't know that, that I'm cutting through a lot of stuff, but that that's basically how they're they're taxed they're taxed and how they're perceived. Right. They're perceived as gamblers. So if they were gonna work for us and give seminars, they would have to have a work visa. Wow. And it changes the whole and the, the whole perspective. So we couldn't cut through the red tape to get them come to come and do a seminar with us. Wow. How about that? So or the, or they just made up that story because they didn't actually want to work they just wanted to fish <laughs> they didn't want to give up the goods yeah, yeah i'm with mike yeah it could be that too and, and get back to that i'd like to say like when i the first bass clubs i was in in the late 70s we just fished for trophies you know we didn't even fish for for prize money and um you know i fished uh i still fish club tournaments i'm in five alive bass masters really happening thing in new jersey five alive you know, we, fish, we fish tournaments for forty dollars you know and um and it's not there's no difference between that and the classic you if you um you know go out there and figure out how to catch a bunch of big fish and execute well you're going to win the tournament it doesn't matter who you're fishing against you could be fishing against 
Mike and the guys in the MLF, or you could be fishing against the guys on Top Rod or Five Alive or the Jersey Fed. You know, winning catch is a winning catch, and the fish don't care. And uh, it's uh, it feels the same. I you know, I just I like uh, you know, bass fishing is just a big puzzle, and when you solve the puzzle and and do well, it's real satisfying. And then tomorrow yeah. it's all new puzzle, and uh, yeah, it never gets old. And you just keep solving the puzzle. They keep changing the pieces, and you just keep solving the puzzle. And if you're fishing against other guys, I basically go out um, every day fishing. Just if I'm fishing on myself, I'm trying to catch a 20 pound limit, or if the or the best the lake can, uh, you know. Some places, I guess you go to Gunnersville, they probably try to catch 30 pounds, or you go to, um, you know, Promised Land State Park in Pennsylvania, you, you catch eight pounds, it's the same catch. That's <laughs> the best you can do. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I, think yeah. I caught more than eight pounds one day there. I got a 12 pound bag there one day. Uh, what else we got coming through, Riz? Um, uh, Mike on the message board wants to know what his best route is. To become a bass pro, in your opinion, in the year 2020? YouTube. My opinion? Well, the band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Ike, Pete, Ed. Mike, well, I, Mike on the board wants to go pro. Yeah. You know, right. Start a YouTube route. channel and you're automatically a pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Start a YouTube channel. Uh, stay in college. <laughs> Dave says stay in college. That's smart. <laughs> yeah, get yourself a job. Stop playing. Yeah, uh, I had, I honestly do want to chime in and say, although this whole show we've said how how much things have changed, I think that the process that we talked about tonight, and the process that Ed talked about, is the same. You know, if if you want to turn pro, I think the best way to do it is to fish a lot. You know, that repetition, you cannot beat repetition. You know, the stair step process. Starting at the bottom and working your way up, even if it's different, right? You know, back then it was the Federation was the only game in town at the bottom level. Um, it may be a little different now, but in my opinion, fish as much as you can and take your time going through the, the levels. Take your time going through the levels. It, in my career, at least, it, it, you know, winning, success always told you you were ready for the next level. So don't go out. Don't go out and join the the opens until you're winning locally and regionally. You know what I mean? Like win locally, win regionally, then get to the next level. Then get to the next level. You know, go through the steps. I I, I look at some of the best. You know, current anglers. Look at Justin Lucas and Brandon Polinick. They all, even though they're from a different era, they all did the same exact thing that Ed's talking about. They fished as much as they could. They work their way up the ladder. You know, that's that's the best route, in my opinion. Young man, buy a push mower, and maybe in two years you can buy a riding mower. You have a better chance of making a fortune doing that than you do trying to do this. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> True. All right, there's like six guys that have castles on fishing. He's talking six to you, Rick. Out of the, <laughs> all right, there's like six guys that have a castle because they did it on fishing money. The rest of us... All right, we're, we're robbing castles to pay for the fish money. All right, all, all right. Pete's, Pete's offended right now. <laughs> Pete, am I lying? Am I lying, Pete? No, I mean that the horse truth, man. It's it's a hard thing. It's just like any other like thing, you know. Like you want to be an actor, right? You want to be a pro ball player, you know. It's 
it's there's a lot of people that fail. The some make it and some end up in porn. There has been more running backs <laughs> that have played for the Dallas Cowboys than have succeeded at professional bass fishing. Think about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Is that true? Yeah. Think about that. Those are not real. That's a horrible stat. No, I just, I, just, I just made that stuff up on whiskey. I'm just saying to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, and all those pro sports, if, you're not, if you haven't made it at 22, you're done. <laughs> no, but my point is it, it, it is, it is such a difficult sport to succeed at. Just because you can catch them when you go out on Saturday. To go out there and bang against 200 of these guys or 150 of them or whatever, man, it is an unrealistic goal. <laughs> All right? Buy some, buy some stock. <laughs> buy, buy some Boeing stock right now. <laughs> nothing. Dave. There's one or two players. Go ahead. Brian. You would be yeah, a great unmotivational speaker. Unmotivational <laughs> speaker. <laughs> By Dave. I'm talking from experience. I'm not talking out of my ass. I know. Yeah, I think he, I proved his, uh, I believe, what he's saying. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. The star of the show agrees with me, Brian. What do you have to say about that? I agree with you, too, Dave. Uh, <laughs> I know you know from experience. We got to have, we, we gotta have, rea- we have, dreams are okay, but you have to have reality checks thrown in there, too. So yeah. Right. So like we brick, appreciate like that. Brick through the window. Right. We do appreciate that. Hey, um, I will say this for God, for you guys that want to make it. There's probably more guys making a living off of fishing now through the tournaments, through sponsorships, and through social media uh, that ever have. Getting a castle, like today's ridiculous point, um, <laughs> <laughs> is uh, is still really hard to accomplish. And it's true, and I agree. But the uh, but you want to make a living at fishing. There's there's a lot of ways to do it. There's a lot of industries in fishing that you can you can get involved with, uh, you know, like the social media guys are, some of those guys are really killing it in our sport. So sign up uh, for the best university, but tell them Pete, but there you go. <laughs> a lot, a lot of, a lot of bass university students are out competing on the elites and, and out on the MLF tour right now. But I like Mike's point and I agree with it. You got, this is a great time too. fish, concentrate on your fishing. Like Riz is out bending his prop shaft fishing every day. Um, <laughs> Here we go. Um, you know, the fishing is, is that's the magic. And right now there's no sponsorships to be had with what we've got going on right now. And you know, this is a great time, man. Dive in deep, learn, learn those valuable lessons. Do a calendar fish a hundred and 150 days a year and get, get your skill set going guys. That, that's the best way. Or take it, or take advantage of the small business loan interest rates and, and start a smart damn business. Wild, so Wild Bill on the message board says there's two different mottos you can have right now. Ike's is never give up, and Dave's is give the fuck up. and you guys, you guys out there, Pete, Pete is one of those one percenters in the fishing industry. So don't he, he made it? All right, there's there's a hundred thousand Pete's to, to all right to one that made it. Dave, Dave, we got to get James Riley to draw you a logo that says <laughs> "Give the fuck up," and it's going to be, it's no, going to be, yo, it's going to be a silhouette of a guy pushing sawdust with the broom. <laughs> <laughs> the sawdust scraps. Just because I'm not ashamed to talk about my failures, right? doesn't make me a failure. You fucking bastards, all of you. Right? All right. I've got I've got one that came through Ed on Facebook and it came came through for a from a good friend of the show, good friend of ours. Not going to say his name yet until you answer the question. Um, he wants to know uh, 
Ed, uh, the, the classic that you made in Pittsburgh, uh, 2005, Three Rivers, um, as local as you can get. You were the most local angler probably. And uh, you th he, the, the question is, you thought you were going to win that tournament. You were on a super strong pattern uh, leading up to the event, and then, and then it changed. You want to talk a little bit about what happened and the pattern you were on that was so good? It sounds like it was an interesting, interesting pattern on three rivers. Um, oh, I don't remember being on that strong a pattern. I basically uh, <laughs> I got some good advice with Mike how to um, how to cash in. I I know from the early '90s that I wasn't going to be a professional fisherman. That, that I was just going to try to do the best I could. You know, by winning that national championship, they had that bush shootout thing as well as the classic. I was going to three big tournaments. I got some good advice with Mike how to, uh, I got some, uh, contingency deals going. And, um, I, uh, being that I had an address said Pennsylvania and the tournament was in Pennsylvania, you know, six hours away where I'd never fished before. <laughs> I let the world think I really knew something. <laughs> so I got, and, uh, you know, the pre-tournament stuff, uh, as a favorite and generally a federation angler isn't considered a favorite going into one of those tournaments. And, you know, I, uh, I went out the first day and, uh, caught one little fish and that was back in the days of a uh, loudmouth bass and, uh, Coom Jake Coomer comes up to me and goes, uh, well, what happened? I said, I lied. <laughs> yeah, I think if really in my career I was better at the business efficient, I might end up doing it because it's it's really the business aspects of sports more probably more important than the than the you know angling ability if you want to make a living at it. Um, Cheers. There's a fellow that's uh, has a Texas Roadhouse rap boat, Mike Del Vesco. He's a been a bass pro as long as I. I I can remember, and uh, and he hasn't messed it up by going to any tournaments to prove he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's a good route. But he's a, he's Man, a great guy. He's he's a just find one really good sponsor, <laughs> and then basically, you just basically called your boy a scrub, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I was I was off fishing the national championship, and he was a. Uh, there was a sign up at the local VFW Bass Pro Mike Del Vesco giving a seminar. <laughs> <laughs> you can look up on my bass. I think he fished 15 pro tournaments and came into money once. But I mean, <laughs> I, I fished with him. He's actually a pretty good fisherman. But he, uh, and he's a real good promoter. He does a heck of a job for the sponsors, but he doesn't mess it up by, um, you know, by going tournament fishing. It costs <laughs> a lot of money to go tournament fishing, and I don't need. I don't know what actually helps your business in a lot of cases. Sounds um, like he should have a YouTube channel. He should. Yeah, he probably does. I don't know if he's, he's probably retired by now. This is a guy that was uh, doing this in the 80s. And, and you know, from the time I started, he was at every sports show in the Shimano booth and so forth. Um, one of the, the best-known fishermen in the in the world is uh, Bill Dance. And uh, – Bill Dance hasn't fished a tournament for 40 years. He, he made a big reputation and he cashed in on it. And he didn't, you know, fish into his old age to prove everybody surpassed him. <laughs> Is he still alive? <laughs> yeah, I'm still oh, alive. I, oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, at one time, he was a high-paid guy in bass fishing. He hadn't fished a tournament in 20 years at that point, you know. Mike, <laughs> is, Bill Dance, Mike is Bill Dance still alive? 
Build yeah. it, yeah. Build yes. it still left. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think you know, Mike. You're probably somewhat at that point wondering if the tournaments are actually adding to your value. What? Well, he's competitive, Ed. He ain't leaving. The I am competitive. I am yeah, competitive. he goes. He fishes the winter league things and, and <laughs> really, I mean, because he's competitive. <laughs> yes, but you can fish for you can fish. You know. A pot tournament for forty dollars and, and be it with your family at night and uh it's just satisfying to if you put it together and do well. I can tell you this. I can Dave, this. Dave, Dave's dreams on the message board just checked in and said, Before he crushes me, just let me say hi. I got a question for Ed. Listen to me, Ed. Brian and I were talking about this earlier. Okay. How many how many federation guys have ever won two national championships other than Mike? Ed. No, there's one won. other. Um uh I forget his name. He was from down south someplace. He won. Yeah, so someone won else first. did? Yeah, somebody else did, yeah. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah, somebody else did because um they made him somebody made a mistake in a magazine say I was the first one and uh, this poor fellow had passed in the late nineties or something and you know, it hurt his wife pretty bad that nobody recognized. I wish I could remember his name right now. I'm well, somebody here, somebody hmm. in the audience knows who it is. What year did you win yours, Ed? 91. So whoever won in 1990 won it again in like 95 or 6 or something. No, I'm saying you. What year did you, what year did you win? Well, I won in 1991 on Smith Mountain Lake in uh, okay. Virginia. I, caught, I won that tournament bed fishing, and I caught some of my fishing slug on the sluggo. Sluggo. Uh, that's really when the Sluggo got known. And second place in that tournament was Herb Reed. <laughs> and then ooh, I won the one in 2005. Wow. And, there wow. Went, and there went the Lunker City sponsorship. Yeah. Mind if I dance with your date? <laughs> yeah, he got, I had a small sponsorship for him. I mean, in um, in 91, they had six invitationals and Wrangler, um, Wrangler paid the entry. I fished that year. You know, it was $600 fee. Wrangler paid all the entry fees and I don't know. They sent um, maybe another that again, and I get a check every three months for a couple thousand dollars, or maybe the sponsorship was worth ten grand or something back and then. And free jeans. Don't forget about the Wrangler Angler jeans. That well, I had lots of jeans. <laughs> don't laugh. I bought a pair of them Wrangler Anglers. I, I felt too. like I was ready. I felt like I was ready to go flashing in them. They didn't even fit me right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is before belts were cool. Yeah, but they had they had the pocket that held your pliers. They had the pliers pocket. Yeah, that's a key pocket. Key. That's a key pocket. Yeah, yeah. But they, they were cut like a they were like cut like a like a like, look like a sheet hanging on a clothesline. You know, like there was no contour. You know, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, but I mean, it was really cool back then because you make the federation and you have the sponsorship. If you had a, if you yeah, you, know, you can get six weeks. And the tournament started in the fall and ended in the spring. So basically, you know. Most guys with a established could, you know, muscle up six weeks vacation, and it didn't cost them anything to go fish the pro circuit for a year. And what was the pro circuit then? You know, it was a, it, it, it was a good deal. It was real nice for the federation guys. Um, and it wasn't so expensive back then. Uh, they had that one fifty horse limit. You know, we had eighteen foot boats and one hundred fifty horse motors. Uh, the Ranger boat I bought, I don't. I only ever in my life bought one brand new boat from a dealer. That was 1988, and it was a Ranger with everything you could possibly get on a Ranger boat. In 1988, <laughs> it cost me eighteen thousand dollars. 
So, Ed, in the most expensive, fancy sport you can get. Hey, Ed, in 88, did you have, like, an actual, like, real compass on there, dude? <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 in water, you know what I mean? Like, the rolls around, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. That- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I ran from, um, I ran from Clayton to Shemote Bay in a Red Man tournament with that boat that you could never see more than 200 yards in front of you. Oof. I, uh, wow. I, char- I charted the thing off all the headings, like, you know, like a sea captain off the navigation charts. And I got all the way into Shemote Bay, but I hadn't, um, I hadn't figured out the headings once you got into Shemote Bay and I ended up running a circle. <laughs> once I got into Shemote where it opens up, I, I went off across the road. Well, I thought it was a straight line. I came back right where I was. <laughs> Damn. Hey, but the, the, imagine the things that we did back, you know, before GPSs were running on compasses, you know, before uh, the, you know, there's no cell phone. I mean, yeah. I don't triangulating know what, with two points. In October in Ontario, and there's these monster waves. I don't know what you would have done if you got in trouble out there. Hey, Ed, did you ever use a sextant during a tournament? <laughs> so, nope, never used a sextant. I think Pete has. Yeah. Pete definitely has. I used my jib sail and a sextant. Hey, bro. Yeah. He, swung, he swung the jib. <laughs> Ed, I, Ed, tell me if this name rings a bell. Uh, talking about guys who, who've won two national championships, Michael Holt. Holt, that's the guy's name. Michael yeah. Holt. Michael Holt. I Michael know that Holt. Yep. Yeah, yep. That comes from yeah, our, I'm glad our we buddy got that Ken out there. Duke. He deserves a lot of respect. You know? Michael Holt. Michael Holt. He's from Virginia? And he's selling insurance now for Progressive. All right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> guys, listen. But he he well, he was <laughs> selling. He was. Yeah, it was. Years ago. Ed, Ed, did you fish on the Chesapeake, the classic on the Chesapeake? Yep. The did you tell me this? You're the big controversy on the classic is that Ken Cook was protested for farming fish in the Elk River. He was protested for it. What what's your take on it? Did you did, did that happen? What happened yeah. there? What well, well, my take on it is um like well you've been talking about how I like makes fishing sound real simple. And and he was fishing the simplest, most dependable pattern there is in bass fishing. Release fish. Every every lake where they have a catch, you know, catch weight and release tournament, the release site is a good place to fish. There's fish there. They're proven to be stupid. They're proven to be big enough to weigh in. And he fished I he fished there. I I had the fished a Pennsylvania Federation tournament down there about ten years ago. And had the biggest catch the second day fishing that Ken Cook spot. He was just fishing, fishing a release area to ramp. Simplest thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, smart. He just made a smart move. Um, the, the one wild card, one thing that really helped him there was uh, it was a real dry year. And there was a lot of barnacles on stuff. And uh, Randy Romig got cut off numerous times. I finished 13th in that tournament. I probably had the bites to win. I got cut off eight times in the first two days of the tournament before I figured out that you had to make sure you, your line wasn't going to hit wood when you set the hook. Wow. You know, you'd, you'd flip into a piece of bush, and when the fish would bite, you'd just let them hold it and troll the motor to where you had the most open water before you set the oh hook. My and, uh, oh, my God. You know, he's fishing weeds in the released area, you know, and uh, – and you know he he deserved well deserved win. Yeah, when it's, me- when it's meant to be, you're going to win. Because I re- mm-hmm. I remember I was a study of that event, watching it. 
uh, over and over, in fact. And a lot of guys had the fish on to win in that tournament. Uh, Zell Rowland, right? Well, so many guys, I think, had the bites to win. It was Ken's time to win, you know? And I think, I think it was a great decision to fish release fish. And, and that, you know, Pete, you hear that from so many guys about so many of their wins. You heard about Davey Heights. You know, win classic win that he had stockpiled those fish. He had right. somebody put them there, which I think that was bullshit. Even on mine on the Delaware River, Brian DeCarpenter. How many how many people have said? I've heard it many a times that fish were stockpiled for me on the Delaware River. Oh well, that's ridiculous. And that wasn't true. No, that wasn't. You know, true. so you hear that. Mike, you hear that. Did people you hear really that? said that? Oh, I yeah. hadn't heard that. Oh yeah. Right. Yep, I've heard that. They are the most wayward nomad fish on planet Earth, those fish in the Delaware River. You can stock them if you wanted to, man. They changed friggin' time zones. <laughs> it's only seven oh, I... twice a day. Yeah. And that's another thing you young guys want. Do you want to put up with this bullshit? Why do you want to get us to that? <laughs> you know, you go out, you earn this victory, this awesome victory on your home water, and people are stockpiling fish in a place with a seven-foot tidal swing. Yeah. What's, why? Why would you want to do that? you got to have a yeah. thick skin in this sport. you got to yeah, have yeah. a thick skin. you got to be able to... Ken Cook's fish were definitely stockpiled, and they're the same stockpile that happens in every reservoir in this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He was just smart enough, the one smart enough to fish for him. Yeah. Uh, Zell Roller was fishing for the other stockpiled fish too, because his spot was right out of where they had a lot of tournaments too. He he had a he had a great story about the last day that he showed up to his spot up there in the Susquehanna, and uh, all of a sudden that on the last day on his best spot there was a scuba diver. Uh, diving <laughs> on his spot, and he, he he couldn't fish, and he didn't catch any fish there. And uh, the the controversy was: Did somebody pay that person to scuba dive that day? Oh Jesus! Yeah, and but the scuba diver's name. That though, Mike Riz uh, Stockle, all you guys, Dave. I have never ever seen a scuba diver anywhere on the Chesapeake in in <laughs> twenty years. No, but you know what's funny? You know what the scuba diver's name was? Dick Garlock. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not true. New York and started scuba diving on the last day of the classic. Dick Garlock. Yeah. I don't know that story. Dick Didn't Garlock. Didn't Dave Mercer scuba dive for, like, slime down on the Chesapeake? Wasn't he, like, in belly deep water or something? Like, that's... <laughs> that's, that's true. The one time. The one time. Yeah. But that, that was just for the cameras. Oh, uh, he's glamming. Yeah, he's glamming it up. I love it. Dude, I, Chris says that Dave, you would make an awesome high school guidance counselor. What? <laughs> <laughs> I would, especially for the way, for the wayward type kids. Yeah. That's what I was. I'm telling you right now, I would. But whatever. I'll just yeah, talk, talk to him right now, Dave. No, I've already did. All right. Fair enough. They know where I stand. All right. I, <laughs> right, I got it. Frankie from Slain Asian says Dave's advice: grab life. By the handlebar mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. Thank you. All right, listen, listen. I got to say this. I've had – I'm looking at my clock. Dude, time has flew, and w when that happens, it means you've had a great time. We've had fun. Dude, this was fun. Ed, it was so amazing catching up with you. I want you to promise me two things before I let you go here. One, we'll, when all this corona bullshit's done – Will you You're come back? Up, will you come back in studio and do a show with us again? 
Is that a, hold me to it? <laughs> is that a no? Oh, that's yes. Is that a yes? Yes, he said he's going to hold us down. Oh, you're going to hold us down. All right. right, all right. So that's the first one. <laughs> Second question. Second promise is, I do want to fish Fairview with you eventually when all this stuff settles down. Will you fish on Fairview Lake with me? Oh yeah, that's a yes to it. Fairview Lake for years. Come on. All right, Ed. Just be warned if you outfish them. You probably well, won't fish with him again. You'll go home <laughs> like Brian did all take those years ago. Oh, take know, you home early. Okay, I got a, I got one quick little story about outfishing somebody. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay, I out, I drew Ron Shuffield at Grand Lake in uh, I think it was '93, and he had uh, he had won the tournament there in '92, or maybe I got the years wrong or whatever. But the year after he won the tournament, there were draw tournaments. I said, "Listen, you won here last year. We go to your you know." We go to your fish, you know, whatever you want to do. And uh, and he tells me, oh, well, you know, it was real cold. There was this bad front. He says, you got to really soak the jig to catch a fish, you know. And we're he's fishing these brush piles around these docks. And, um, you know, and he knew where they were because he won there the year before. And he'd flip his jig into a brush pile. And they flip it in the next brush pile. And I flip my jig in the brush pile he just pulled out of and leave the thing. Until his boat got too far away, I had to reel it in, and I destroyed him. <laughs> I caught Lunker. I think I was in the top ten after the first day. Uh, the last hour, we went to my fish, and I called three times. <laughs> and um, you know, so uh, if you're going to tell somebody how to fish and they're going to listen, they might outfish you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ron! Good old Ron! I just anyway said. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Ron. Uh, Ed, bef- uh, people watching and listening right now, I want, I'm going to make sure you give them two pieces of information. First one, I know you mentioned earlier, you got some great jigs, some great buzz bait stuff, some other stuff. They're listening and they say, man, I want to try that jig. How can they get it? What's the best way to find it? I, I got everything listed on, I got some stuff listed on eBay. Um, look up Ed Cowan buzz bait or Ed Cowan jig. And you'll find it. I got a link on my Facebook page, Ed Cowan. Um, and on Instagram, Ed Cowan5, I got a link in my bio. Or you could just, you know, message me on Facebook or, or um, you know, Instagram, and uh, I'll get back to you. I hope I get overwhelmed because, you know, I uh, have a lot of time right now. <laughs> yeah, fishing. Just make sure it's <laughs> and Ed I got Cowan. some really there's, cool there's... stuff here that I think is a little unique. I um, a lot of guys build stuff at home like this, and a lot of stuff's really, really pretty and all. And I'm just trying to build a few things that uh, you know, I don't want to compete against um, you know, striking or something. So it's mostly I'm building some niche stuff that you know, where I reproduce a few jigs that uh really didn't catch on over the years or this little buzzbait deal kind of niche stuff that I don't think there's I'm really competing direct with, you know, other companies or whatever. Maybe, maybe somebody will want to produce something I may, I've uh, thought up in mass and I can cash in on it. <laughs> but for now, I'll, you know, I'll be glad to, you know, hook you up with uh, some cool baits. I might have to order just, some uh, of the jigs, know, man. I got a Champlain tournament eat. coming. I might have to get some for uh, I appreciate. Yeah, and then Ed, the other thing, um, you still guiding? You want to give everybody information if they want to? They're up in Pennsylvania and they want a little guide trip. You still doing some of that stuff? 
uh, till this Corona thing gets over, I pretty much suspended. Uh, I've been in the right now. I'm going to. I take my wife out on the boat sometime, but I'm still pretty spooked until this. Uh, until I really have a handle on this, I don't think I'm booking any trips. But uh, yeah, you're you know, right probably, there in that. You're right there in that age group, Ed. You better watch it with these people. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you know, I worked in corrections. And uh, other than other than the medical profession, it's one of the hardest hit things. So uh, yeah. my experience has been a little bit different than some others. But I still got some friends that are not out of the woods yet. Yeah. You know, with it's this. Scary. It's a pretty scary thing. It is you know? scary. That's super scary. Uh, glad you're safe, Ed. Glad yeah, you're yeah, we're you. glad you're safe. Man, it's been fun. Uh, Ed, I appreciate you coming on the show. Can't wait to have you back on the show. Hopefully uh, get together and fish together soon. And uh, stay safe. Keep catching them. We appreciate yeah, you coming thanks. on. Yeah, and I'm, ho I'm hoping the Ike Foundation co comes off there at the end of June. It's still scheduled as of right now. It's, we're still going to have it, so looking forward to it. Yeah. There you have it, everybody. Ed Callen. Thanks, Ed. Yes. Thanks, Ed. Yes. Thank you. Man, that was awesome. That was awesome. Dude, the, mem the memories, the <laughs> stories, Dave interjecting his depressing-ass facts. <laughs> Dude, you should. Rich uh, was saying the message board's lighting him up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what whiskey does. Whiskey's a depressant, Dave. No, I speak the truth. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 always, always give up on the message. Always that. give up. <laughs> what, I, what I've learned tonight is fuck your dreams, buy a push mower, then buy a rider so that I can drink my founders while mowing. <laughs> <laughs> now you know what it's like to be a married father who's responsible. <laughs> figured it out. There's 17 to 23-year-olds all over the world right now that are quitting their dreams, Dave. Breaking their rods. Now listen to me right now. So on the rods, giving it all five thousand pop Warner quarterbacks, and one of them's going to be a Tom Brady. Oh <laughs> my god, it's crazy! Just uh, listen, I want to thank everybody for for tuning in. Uh, great first segment with Mr. Ed Callen. Hope you learned a little bit. Um, want to remind you, we want to hear from you. Hit us up on the IMs. Also, if you're watching over on Facebook, please like and share the feed. If you do, you're entered in a contest to win this great Ike Life gift bag. Uh, Brian DeCarpenter, we're going to take a little break. Yes. Listen to me. Hang in there with us. When we come back, it's going to be a good one. We're catching up with the Cajun baby, Mr. Cliff Crochet. A lot of great stuff coming from Cliff. Uh, also, we're going to be giving you a trivia question for a chance to win another bag. And last but not least, we're going to be doing a TH Marine review and a Mystery Tackle Box unboxing. Hang in there with us. When we come back, more Ike Life. Four and a half inch drop shot worm. Bama Bug. Finesse Jig, PB&J, give me something hard. Hey, KVD here. Now, I didn't always know this much about fishing. Three-aught, no, four-aught EWG worm hook. In fact, there was a time when I couldn't tell the difference between a jerkbait and a stickbait. But then I signed up for Mystery Tackle Box, the original monthly tackle subscription. And now I know more about fishing than I do about Calculus. And he knows a lot about Calculus. Plus, I get amazing extras, like free fishing magazines. October 2016, featured article, Four Places to Throw a Frog. Exclusive decals, <coughs> zombie bass. And how-to videos for all the great baits I receive. How to tune a crankbait. 
Underwater footage, I smell? I got goosebumps. So if you're looking to develop enhanced fishing abilities like me, or you just like getting new tackle every month, go to mysterytacklebox.com and get your box today. Live minnows. Is it lunchtime already? Nature's candy. Oh. Is he in my pocket? There's a special place in our hearts for the tools of the trade. They're what we prep for a good day on the water. They're what we clean after a good day in the field. Flambeau's patented Z-Rust technology protects the gear of today from rust and corrosion. Z-Rust, for the performance of tomorrow. Preserve. Perform. Repeat. You work hard to catch your fish. TH Marine has two products to ensure your fish survive. The Oxygenator injects 100% pure oxygen into your live well. That increases fish survival by 35%. For the perfect combo, add G-Juice Live Well Treatment. It calms fish, stops bleeding, removes ammonia, and replaces slime coat. Get an oxygenator and G-Juice, and keep your fish alive. That's mine, and...